Socialist think tank Origins is simply about socialism. What socialism is, what it means to people, and how it can improve our lives. We speak to people from a variety of backgrounds, both well-known and unknown, to find out what they think socialism is, and develop the ideas around socialism. The red flag flying here. Hello and welcome to Socialist Think Tank. Today we are here with Lisa Collins. How are you doing, Lisa? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having us, Paul. It's I'm a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. So I'm going to go into the first question that we always ask, which is what is socialism to you? So socialism is one of those things where Unfortunately, in society, you, you have to think twice about saying whether you're a socialist. But I believe everybody's got socialist values in them. So socialism to me is looking after people that are unfortunate, can't look after themselves or people where things have happened in society where they need that little bit extra help. And people that are fortunate enough to be able to help should be able to help. So I think socialism is is a big I mean there's a wider aspect of it around nationalization and how we should have the railways back and and all that side of it that goes deeper into it but I think at the heart of it socialism is looking after people that unfortunately can't look after themselves in that time and then that pays it forward for when they can look after themselves that they can look after people so I think that's socialism to me but unfortunately at the moment and I think this has got a lot to do with maybe the right-wing press but socialism has got a bad word to it because to see it as sort of something where we we are demanding what we want and we demand all these things where that isn't the reality of it we just want equality really so I think that's the um the main thing of what it means to me that's a really really nice lovely definition and um I completely agree with it there um do you ever find it really strange where when um you talked about the media there and and I think a lot of the time people are influenced by the media do you ever find it really strange where have you ever seen those memes where they go this is what it would look like under socialism. And there's one where there's like, there's a picture, I think it's of Detroit in the USA, but yeah. this is what it would look like in socialism. And this is what it looks like in, in capitalism. And it's actually like Detroit's the rundown place that looks awful and Havana in Cuba is yeah. the, the socialist place. <laughs> and you've got it the other way around. So do you think people's ideas around socialism could be quite warped? I, I do think so. I mean, my, my thought, and this is just my opinion, but my thought is it comes from the, the sort of 80s and the, the late 70s, which I have to say, I am too young. I was only just born in the late 70s, so I don't really know this time. But ultimately, that's when the era came. I'm all right, Jack, and you had to look after yourselves. And it was like you would step on your fellow person to to get to the top and it sort of built that society where that's how people felt but I think if you get to the heart of people they still want to look after other people they just they feel like they have to sort of climb to the top and that's what they have to do so it, it I think that's the the problem we have with society I think it's it's drummed into you that you must be the best, no, no matter what cost. But I'm, I'm a total positive, and I think when I talk to people, and I talk to a lot of people in my work, all they want to do is look out for people. I mean, when you look at just a, a simple sort of part of it, you look at where charity comes from, and charity comes from the working class, do you know what I mean? The most of the money that comes, apart from these big benefits where they hand out millions and stuff like that, but you'll speak to someone who'll give their last tenner to somebody, do you know what I mean? And, and that's the sort of inside people have got those values. I think it's just the do, as you say, make it out like unless we're all capitalists and we all want more, we're going to live in this sort of society where we're all just walking around the street with nothing, where I don't think that's the case. I think they can work hand in hand. You can still sort of 
work to give your family a good life you can still work to give them holidays and stuff like that but it doesn't mean that you've got to step on your fellow person to get there do you know what I mean I think that's the way I see it um yeah again I couldn't I couldn't agree more (laughs) um so we've um with your feelings about socialism then and and you feel it sounds like you're talking about community and and people sticking together and it sounds like you think that should be the natural state of the things and the way yeah. human beings actually are. Am I, am I right in thinking yeah. that, that you think that's more, more natural than this, um, than the capitalist system and the, uh, and the individualistic system? I'd, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's the, the sort of future to it because as you say, it is around, it, you look at food banks, for example, the majority of food banks donated from the community and it's sort of, we did, um, working for USDOR, the Shop Workers Union, we did a big campaign around period poverty. And we did a lot of sort of campaigns in the supermarkets, asking the public to donate sanitary products. And then we took them to the food banks and we did this like campaign of us standing together. And it was warming to see people in the supermarkets of like, oh yes, of course, I'll put that in my shopping. And, the, the community spirit were got, but I remember um, sort of speaking to um, some politicians around it, and I'll not name them, but saying, come and support us and, and sort of go around. And they were like, oh, we, we don't believe in food banks. We believe um, that everybody should earn a living to be able to pay for themselves. And I thought, great, absolutely, completely could not disagree with you. But at this particular moment in time, we're not at that place. So to get to that place, unfortunately, we have to stand together as a community and support each other. So it's it's a bit of a two different approach to it because it's sort of a socialist view that this politician had is to say we shouldn't have food banks and we should all earn a wage to do it, which again, I completely agree, but how do we actually get there, Paul? The only way we can get there is by standing together as a community, isn't it? And doing the donations to the food banks and things like that. Yeah, I think we do have to look after each other. And it's one of those things that um, there's an argument that you shouldn't help. And I've heard people make the argument that you shouldn't um, give money to homeless people and and I got to the bottom of the argument at one point and this came from a, a place where they were saying well you know if if those people ended up like dying then the government would eventually have to do something about it but I think as socialists you can't just stand by and that's the difficult thing isn't it I think it would be a very horrible mean-spirited thing to do to allow the bad thing to happen i think sometimes people take advantage of that as well people take advantage of the good nature of people and continue to exploit them and i hate it when a tory turns up at a food bank for a photo opportunity big grin on the face like look at me haven't i done great even though i voted for this to happen in the first place (laughs) yeah definitely and i think that that's the point of one of the things that does bug me about food banks, because I donate to my local food bank, but then when you look into it, to get to that food bank, you need to go to the, the social to get a token to then go to that. And I'm thinking, hold on, this means the government should be doing it. If you physically need to go and get a token and you need to physically prove that you need that food bank, then shouldn't the government be supporting you? I think food banks should be there so you don't have to go through the embarrassment of going, I need help. You should be able to just rock up and say, any chance I could just have a little help rather than having to go through the rigmarole, the the, um, the the sort of jumping hoops to basically prove to this complete stranger in front of you that you need food, uh, the food bank. And most of the time when I speak to people that work in food banks, it isn't sort of the people that are, are sort of on the dole or it's, it's people that are in work that use food banks. It's, it's people who um, find themselves normally in a, a good situation, but maybe one month without a, a wage have found, oh dear, I, I really need some support and help here. And I have to figure out of whether I need to feed, like clothe my kids or feed them. 
Do you know what I mean? And, and people always say you're only one month's wage away from being that yourself. Do you know what I mean? So I think everybody should have that inside them to say we do need the support and help. And that's why I'm really optimistic that society does have that when you do see the people that, uh, the amount of people that donate to food banks, that means everybody's got a bit of that socialism inside of them, for me, to do that. Um, it's it. I agree with you again. I, I, I think most people are, are really good. When it comes down to it, people tend to try to help one another and it's not everyone. Um, but um, it's kind of a, a slight tangent on this one, but I was interested... Um, I've read a few times that one of one of the things that people think is is causing a lot of the mental health difficulties that we're seeing and yeah. mental health difficulties. Maybe it's just because we know more about them or whatever or, or yeah. are more understanding. But a lot of people think it's that individualistic um, lifestyle that we're encouraged to lead since the 80s, since Thatcherism yeah. and since, Re since Reaganism. It's so unnatural for people to behave in that way that yeah. it is affecting everyone's mental health do you think that could be yeah. true yeah potentially I think it's definitely the start of the um the sort of uh, like I'm a man I can't ask for help or I'm an independent woman I can't ask for help do you know what I mean it's sort of we need to break that down and I, I'm grateful that mental health is more I'm not grateful that it's on the uprise obviously but I'm grateful that it's out there now that it's trying to take the stigma away from it's it's okay not to be okay do you know what I mean and and try and break down as we say then Thatcherism ways of you have to be it you have to put your stiff upper lip on and you have to get on with it and you have to do it and actually no you don't it's all right to sort of say I'm having a duvet day because I can't face the world, but tomorrow I'll get up because it's another day, do you know what I mean? And it doesn't mean you're weak if you have those times, it just means you're human, do you know what I mean? So we do need to take that stigma away that probably did come from that era um, of you need to be independent, you need to look after yourself. Um, but yeah, hopefully we're stepping in the right direction with the campaigns to say it is okay not to be okay. Thanks for that. And it's a, yeah. again, a new, uh, yeah, agree again. I'm, I think I'm going to agree with you a lot, which uh, generally <laughs> tends to happen. Um, so um, I was wondering as well, were you, have you always identified with socialism as a word? Like, have you always identified as a socialist? Not really. It's one of those things where, um, again, I think it's inside you, but you sometimes don't know that you're a socialist and I do think there's a lot of the population out there that's the same that they don't really sort of identify as a socialist or no so pretty similar to trade unionism so I'm a trade union official and I have been since I was 21 year old so I'd, I've sort of been and grown up through the movement and I remember somebody asking me the same question around trade unionism. Have you always been a trade union activist? Have you always believed in trade unionism? And I went, no. I, like, I literally grew up. And my history is where my granddad was on the executive council of the T&G, which is Unite now, um, and very, very staunch union man. And my dad's one of six boys. And he was probably the only boy out of the six that never went into the trade union sort of aspect. Although they never went to work for the trade unions, all of my uncles were, were shop stewards, reps, all that. And my dad was the only one that didn't. And he sort of like teared off a bit from it. So we never got brought up on trade unionism. But what we did get brought up on is you look after people that can't look after themselves. You, you, you sort of put a hand out to help people. You, you support people. So I got brought up with those values, which looking back now are socialist values, the trade union values. But me dad and me mom never put a label on it. They just sort of said, these are the ethics that you want to do. So when I first got approached to be a, a union rep in macro where I worked, it was like, yeah, of course I'll do that because that's my values, do you know what I mean? So I think, again, we, we just, we, there's a lot of people out there that haven't got that label, but they have got the values inside them. So to probably answer your question, very long-winded, Paul, but to answer your question, I, I probably have been a socialist from being small, 
but ultimately I've never really labeled myself as that. A lot of people feel like that. And also yeah. on trade unionism, the way you accepted that um, that role when you were asked if you would stand up to do it. I find a lot of trade unionists, um, you can ask them, and, and the ones that I often relate to the most are the ones that, like, if you ask them why they're a trade unionist, a lot of them will say, I can't help it. Yeah. And that's, yeah. it's a really, it's a really good answer. And that's like, I, I, I found myself saying it before. And then I spoke to other people and they were like, oh yeah, I can't help it. So do you find that a lot? Yeah, it's it's something inside you, isn't it? And sort of, I'm really, one of my proudest moments as a parent, and I'm probably going off script a bit here, Paul, so please pull us back if I am. But one of my proudest moments as a parent is my um, son was in, um, he must have been about six or seven, he was in year two of school, so whatever age that is. And the teacher called us in and they went, oh, we've had to have a word with Jake today. And I was like, oh, well, what's happened? What's happened? Well, a little boy forgot his PE kit. So we told him he couldn't play in PE. So Jake told the whole class not to play in PE if he wasn't to play in PE. And I was like, and? Like, good on him. So I'm thinking she was like, well, you know, that that's really inciting, like them to, to go against us and stuff like that. And I was like, well, no, I'm really proud of him, to be honest. He's obviously seen that this boy's been left out. And he's like, no, that's not fair. So are we are not going to do it if he's getting left out. So obviously I've done something right as a parent or it, it just sort of gets sort of brought into children that the, the, there is a fairness, a thirst for fairness out there. And hopefully there is a lot more people out there. So I think that's where instead of putting labels on things, it's actually looking at people's sort of um, opinions and, and sort of the way the work, the, the best way that I recruit any of my representatives when I go into stores is they'll go, oh, Marjorie's the one that tells us all what to do. And it isn't normally because she's the bossy one, it's because she'll have the thirst for fairness and say, well, this is what we should do type thing. So yeah, I think that's what's inside you, isn't it? To be a trade unionist and socialism comes as part of that really, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, So I'm going to move on to your work in in trade unionism now. So you you work for USDOR and they are a very, very working class union, I would say, like, you know, the the type of people who are in USDOR are sort of the the overlooked working class. And like, you know, there's this ridiculous stereotype a bit with cloth caps and and, and whippets and and stuff and and going down the pit or going into factories and things. But actually, the majority of really work and class work is in those kind of service sectors yeah. and, and working in shops and stuff. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, your your work in the trade union movement? Yeah. So um, as I say, as you said, I work for USDOR. So USDOR is the Union of Shop Distributive and Allied Workers. That's what we stand for. So um, I'm really proud. We're one of the, the main trade unions that have still got... The, the sort of specialist subject is to say, and our specialist specialist subject is retail workers. Um, and in that, it's sort of, I've re- I'm really proud of our membership, do you know what I mean? And I've always been proud of them, but I think during this pandemic, it's proved how important they are to society. Um, you, I mean, you talk a lot of people to, uh, to people during the pandemic of how they've had to work at home and it's been, it's been very tough and, and it has, do you know what I mean? To, to, I, I'm not taking away the fact that it has, but you speak to my members and nothing's changed for them. They've been out working day in, day out and, and it's sort of overlooked a bit. It's sort of like, and this isn't no disrespect to the nurses that we clap for the carers and, and all that side of things because they're, they're obviously doing a very hard job and I, I, I don't think I could have the stamina that they've done to do that. But retail workers are sort of forgotten about that they are the ones that's out there um, doing it. And, and I think the hardest, the sort of hardest part for me was listening to the members around what they've gone through through this pandemic as well. So the fact that um, 
back back in March 2020, many moons ago now, when that when Boris came on the telly and said, right, okay, we all have to stop at home and we all have to do this, and we were all really really nervous to go out, especially if we have loved ones at home that had um, conditions that it could affect or they were shielding and stuff like that. My members had to still get up and go to work and a lot of them were scared a lot of them were frightened you know what I mean and and it was still a case of we were saying what we can do as a union is put all of that sort of um safety measures in place and make sure the companies are, are doing it but ultimately it I still felt for them do you know what I mean they were the ones out there in in work um and then you had the added extra of homeschooling so I work from home and I know how hard it is. I've got three boys and I had to homeschool and full respect for likes of you, Paul, as a teacher, totally, totally full respect for that side. But then you've got to look at my members who couldn't homeschool because they were still out at work and they had actually to make the decision to send their kids into school when they didn't know whether it was safe to send them into school. Do you know what I mean? So the, there is a lot of sort of things my members went through in that time and as you say, they're sometimes overlooked and that the overlooked, not just by recognition, but the overlooked by pay, the, 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 the lowest paid that a lot of my members are on minimum wage um, that a lot of them are, haven't a claim universal credit on top of their wage. Do you know what I mean? So I think as a society, we should look at that and as a union, one of the things we've been doing is making sure the employers step up and give that pay. So the likes of the Tesco's, the Morrison's, the Sainsbury's, the co-ops of this world have made a fortune through this COVID. And we've said to them, you need to give that back to your, your workforce. And, and thankfully, the majority of them have listened so Tesco have given a big bonus to the staff. Um, Morrison's have gotten over the £10 an hour, which is fantastic for retail. Um, the co-op have, have given a big bonus to their staff. Do you know what I mean? Sainsbury's have as well. So they've just given a, an additional bonus this time round for it. So that's where the trade union makes a difference because you, you do talk to the retailers that don't have a union and they haven't gotten that sort of thing so it, it it is all about and people will go oh what does the union ever do for me but they don't realize the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and we wouldn't have that power if we didn't have the membership and that's what I keep saying so in Tesco we have over 80 percent membership in Tesco so do you think they'd listen to us if we had 10 percent <laughs> they'd probably just go yeah whatever and and get on with it so that's why it's so important for people to be in a trade union and, and for people to realise that actually them ticking that box saying, yes, I want to be a trade union is a massive help to, to us, to, to everybody and to help their working conditions as well. So it gives us the power to negotiate for them. So sorry, I went off on a total tangent there, Paul. That's what you do when you get us on the trade unionism. <laughs> That, that absolutely brilliant to hear um and i didn't know about those things as well and that that's one of the problems that you have as a trade unionist isn't it because like while you want to tell your members that you've done really well for them there's a relationship with the employer where you're not really to gloat yeah. as well and you've you've got to get yeah. that balance right don't you i was really interested in what you said about tesco as well because it, um during the pandemic um I remember early on they claimed something back from the government and then paid it out to the shareholders. And yeah. that suggests to me that their intention in the first place wasn't to look after the staff and you've yeah. gone out and done something really, really positive with them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think like, well done to you basically for, <laughs> for, for doing that and getting that. Now you talked about like the percentage of members that you've got. I yeah. always think um, trade unions, People ask me, oh, what's a trade union? And I'll just say people who work in a place. It's yeah. not actually the big outside body with the name. It's you yeah. in your workplace. Do you try to get that message across to people as well? Yeah, it's it's quite, I do the collectiveness quite a bit because in my job, because I negotiate wages myself and I deal with sort of stores, it's so percentage of members is a big thing to me. 
because it gives me how much clout I have to push for stuff. So the, the higher percentage of members I've got in a store, the bigger voice I have. So it, it's very important to me as an area official to do that. But ultimately, um, like I look after distribution sites as well. So not just retail, I look after big industrial sites. And normally they'll come to me and say, what are you going to do as the union to do this? And I go, whoa, hold on a second. I'm not the union. <laughs> You're the union. Like, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm the advisor. I can tell you what your rights are. I can tell you what we can do. But ultimately, I'm not the union. The reps on site aren't the union. It's you standard the union. And until people realise that, they're never going to sort of move forward. And I think you're never going to get people um, to to really buy into the union unless they know what the union is. Do you know what I mean? It isn't just somebody who will rock up if you get in trouble. Do you know what I mean? It isn't somebody who will give you a payout if you have an accident. It's, it's basically the union is you having that voice in the workplace. So I, I try, when I get out and speak to the membership, which I like to do quite a bit because it grounds us as well. I don't like to just talk to the representatives. I like to go out and speak to the membership. Um, and that's the, the way I portray it because that's the truth, Paul. I couldn't do anything if I didn't have, say, their signature on a grievance, do you know what I mean? Or I didn't have their say. Um, when I've got an issue that I'm trying to deal with, or if I'm getting some wages through, I need their vote to, to get them wages through. So it, it it's throughout it, I try and say to them, you are the union and, and come on, step up and, and help us here. I'm just the voice, as to say. Do you think that's where the, the link between trade unionism and socialism is? Because like you can get this very uh, individualistic kind of um, trade unionism where people see it as being an insurance policy. Yeah. Like, and we get this all the time in teaching where everyone's encouraged to join the union and they, they say it. Well, you know, we want representation if anything goes wrong for us. Yeah but they're maybe not willing to stand up if something goes wrong for someone else. And that yeah. can be a bit of a problem. And, and actually what often happens is you'll see someone who will like, well, no, I'm not willing to vote to save their job. I'm not yeah. willing to, to do this. And they'll actually vote against their colleagues. And then a couple of months down the line, they're in trouble and they, yeah. they could be losing their job and stuff. And like, so right. do you, do you see that? Uh, is that a, problem in in your union as well sometimes yeah. with some some of your members yeah it, it it is one of the issues i do have i mean i've i've got um sites where for example the the night shift uh are maybe not paid as much as what the the rest of the like not night shifts always get paid more but if you put it in comparison that the night shift to other areas they get a less percentage higher than the day shift and in this particular site, I had that problem. And I was like, well, hold on. We can quite clearly see that the night shift aren't getting the payment that they should. They're not getting the premiums and, and all that. Um, and the day shift, were quite, they were quite high up on the pay scale. So if you put them in comparison to everyone else, they were quite high up, but night shift weren't. So in the wage negotiations, we were like, well, come on then, we need to do something for the night shift here. And I could not get that vote through because the majority of members were on day shift and they didn't see what the benefit of night shift and, and taking their pot, as to say, the money pot, would benefit them. So no matter how many ballots I tried to get through, there was just no way I could. Although I knew fine well this, this group of people here needed our help. Um, I mean, fortunately, we ended up doing um, it through a night shift review. So I sort of got it through anyway, where it didn't take any pot of the money and just totally embarrassed the company and said to them, you know, you're paying the lowest in the area. Come on, you need to do a night shift review. And, and thankfully, we did actually get 50 pence more an hour for them through that. But it did concern us, Paul, exactly what you're just saying that, hold on, we need to sort of change this in a way, do you know what I mean? We need people to realise that, yes, you might get a penny more off you, but it's to even the, the sort of, the, the playing field up a bit here. Um, 
and and it's sometimes a bit more difficult because uh, I'm not probably giving them justice the membership there. It is a bit more difficult because I negotiate with private companies where they see that particular company earning millions and millions of pounds where the day shift are like, hold on, why should they take some of our money anyway? They're earning all this money. They should just make it fair. Do you know what I mean? But, but it is one of those situations where I think to get people involved, you need to do what we call issue-based organising. So you need to get them hooked by something that'll support them and their, their surrounding people and then build their surrounding people, do you know what I mean, and do all that. If they don't see that night shift, that isn't part of their surrounding family, as to say, do you know what I mean? So we do have to do a lot of that issue-based organising where how it's going to affect them and their surrounding people and do it that way. So I suppose step-by-step step we're building that socialist value, but it, it needs a bit more time, doesn't it? I think um, I've got a lot of sympathy with the view that the company is earning an absolute load of money mm. and why, why should it come from the pot? And I suppose this comes from the, there's a politi- political aspect to the union as well, isn't there? There's a yeah. political collaboration with the union and there'll be a political fund where you campaign and things. Now, yes. uh, we saw recently with the with the public sector, and I work in the public sector, they were saying, well, you know, if the government decide to pay the public sector a little bit more, what about the people who are working in shops? They're not going to get a pay rise. And you're like, well, economically, that's quite illiterate anyway, because if you pay yeah. some nurses a little bit more money, they'll spend more money in the shops. The shops will have more money and then they'll be able to pay the staff more, theoretically. But it's never a reason to say, oh, we can't do that because the poor shop workers. Are using it. No, pay yeah. the shop workers more. <laughs> pay the shop workers more. I'm all for that. Um, yeah. So like politically, do you get involved in the political side of that and trying to, you know, change yeah. change the rules and regulations nationally? Yeah, I mean, politics comes a lot into my job, do you know what I mean? I used to negotiate um for a, a local site but it was a national company so I'll not I'll not mention the name but it, it was basically one of the big retailers but I had a local depot so we did local site negotiations and it was a case of well nationally we're given this so you're getting this and I was like hold on we're doing local negotiations here that's not negotiations you come in to say it this is what you're getting and they would go but we can't give any more than that because politically if such and such down the road and such and such say that you're getting more they're gonna want more so we can only give you this and I was like well tough do you know what I mean get the people that can negotiate round this table because we ultimately I understand politically that that's how it might view but I'm negotiating for this site and to be honest and that was probably when I was a a young sort of naive naive negotiator because you're never going to win that battle but what you do is you find ways around it. So politically, if they are never going to go over that 2% markers to say, I'll say, right, okay, I want all my add-ons to add up to 5% then, do you know what I mean? So I'll get maybe premiums on um, shift work or other sort of Friday feelings where they can go home a couple of hours early and get hours back that way. And, and I would always build my negotiations up so that my particular site was getting a really good deal, but let them keep their politics of, well, the increase is 2%, and that keeps their politics, do you know what I mean? And it's just creative ways to sort of look around that because, unfortunately, I don't know whether you're going to beat that, that sort of side of it. But, um, well, actually, I'm saying that. We did beat that side of it because... We ended up um, going to consultative ballot for industrial action because they wouldn't budge. And what had happened was this particular um, company had brought the uh, company to the Northeast for low wages. That was the main reason they brought it was because we had low wages. And um, the particular site was, um, it was down Redka and the um steelworks had just shut and they'd literally capitalized on the fact that the place needed um sort of an injection of jobs but paid really really low rates of pay 
compared to the area, compared to everywhere else. And it did get to the fact of, well, you're getting 2% as everyone else. And I was like, right, okay, then we'll take you, we'll take you on industrial action. And at the time it was like, oh my God, what are you doing, Lisa? I think I'd been in the job in this particular job about two years at this point, and they were like, Well, what are you doing? I was like, Well, that's what my members want. And just before we got there, they went, Okay, why don't we do a local rape video? And I went, You know what? You can call it whatever you want as long as my members get more money. And they ended up getting a pound more an hour, but it was called a local rate review rather than being on a pay rise. And a lot of people go, Well, did you sell out there? And I went, I didn't sell out. I got out. I got what the members wanted in the end, but it wasn't called. If they wanted to save face and say that it was they got a two percent pay rise, but actually the local rate review meant they got a fifteen percent pay rise. I don't care what you call it as long as my members get it. So I suppose it does work in different ways. You just have to be really creative, don't you? To keep that politics side of it, but get what your members want at the end of it. Um, with, with regards to politics as well, and that's a really good story, by the way, and well done for that. It's really nice to hear these wins. We love, we love a good win because like we yeah. haven't had that many yet, uh, recently, so it's great to hear these wins. Um, with the politics side of it as well, like you, you do have, um, you do try to work within the Labour Party, uh, yeah. don't you? Like as as an affiliated trade union. Yeah. So like, um, how does that work? And uh, you know how how do you? How do you approach that? Do you have negotiations with the Labour Party or do you feed into policies? Yeah, so we um, we as an organisation have people that sit on the Labour Party board. So I sit on the, the Labour, well, I do at the moment. I'm, I'm moving away from it soon, but I sit on the Labour Party regional board at the moment. Um, and then like our general secretary sits on the NEC. And so we have links that way, but we also have a lot of links around um, the campaigns. So we have a panel um, of MPs that we sponsor as well. So we do a lot of lobbying through them. Um, we do a lot of like our biggest sort of thing we're doing through parliament at the moment is to get a law passed around retail workers um, around abuse towards them. So at the moment, if somebody um, abuses an emergency worker, so a paramedic, police officer, um, care of someone in that in that position they get a harsher sentence because they've attacked rightly so because they've attacked somebody in their line of duty so what you're saying well why not retail workers they don't go in to have a fight with somebody they are getting attacked in their line of duty so they should be included and believe it or not it actually got knocked back and said, no, no, we can't do that. And we're like, well, this is just common sense. Why people shouldn't be going to work to get attacked. So that's where we do a lot of lobbying of the, the MPs. We do, and we have MPs to sponsor. So we work a lot with the Labour Party around that. We also work a lot with the Labour Party around um like I'm the equalities officer for the Northeast. So we do a lot of stuff around um, the, the different equality sectors. Um, and the Labour Party sometimes come and say, can we do some work with your members around um, like menopause and women over, uh, over 50 was one where they wanted to come and speak to them and say what they could do for them. So the Labour Party do listen to our membership as well around those things and making their policies. Um, and so the, there is a, an actual good connection between us, Dor and Labour because of that, because they do listen to our membership. We, um, Paddy Lillis, our General Secretary, sits on the law uh, pay commissions because of our membership being the law pay. So we do a lot of work around sort of making sure our members' voices heard that way. The police crime commissioners at the moment, I've made sure of all of them, Joy Allen and Kim McGuinness, have been listening to our members about what they are going through. So I think the more we can get our members' voice out there at the Labour Party, hopefully the more they're going to listen and make their manifesto around what working people want, really. That's how we see it. Would you like to see more people from like retail backgrounds um, and people who've worked in, like, you know, on minimum wage and on these low wage, uh, in these low wage jobs, would you like to see more of them become politically active and, and more of them 
like representing us in parliament and things because yeah. we don't see very we don't seem to see very many of them we seem to see a lot of lawyers and a yeah. lot of people who work in politics itself mm-hmm. you know and i find that a lot of people that like, it's very difficult to understand something if you haven't been yeah. in it if you've never struggled if you've never yeah. been on minimum wage would, would you like to see more of that I, I do, and we've actually got a program, Paul, around getting more key workers into politics. So um, I've done a, a bit of a campaign in our area around um, getting people onto sessions on how to become a councillor, um, doing the, the sort of projects around that as well. And, and we actually sponsor our members to go and do that so as a union we give them money to campaign to sort of do that because we do we want to see more and more of our membership be represented on local councils and mps things like that i think i think with mps it's sometimes the stigma that needs to be broke down because you're right you, you see them on telly and you think oh god i could never do that do you know what i mean i could never sort of see all those posh words and, I could never, and I'll get up there and I'll sound silly but actually no do you know what I mean I think the politics needs more people who can just get up and sort of go this is what actually we want and this is what our our sort of voice for it is um as well and I think the public probably want to see that more as well the sick of the, the sort of maybe the Matt Hancocks and the, the Gavin Williamsons and the Vara, and I know I'm picking on Tories there, do you know what I mean? Because it, you don't want to see them um, sort of represent us. Uh, I mean, another another story, you'll be sick of my stories by the end of this, but <laughs> no, but another story around that is when we were doing homeschooling, I actually um, came up with this thought or idea and and to be honest I don't even know whether I can take credit or whether it was just I was talking to my friends and sort of we we came up with this idea that maybe what they should do is should freeze the school year and push it back so um, as a teacher you might not agree with this but what we thought is actually as a country we send our kids to school quite young so we can afford to send them a year later at six and then all our year 11s, just give them another year and then it'll save on the universities, it'll save on the college and it'll save on the job market just to sort of freeze it for a year and, and sort of then push it back. So I thought, well, I'm going to write to me MP and see what they think about this. So I wrote to me MP who then said, yep, we'll send this on to um, the school minister. So I then get an email back from the school minister, which was the most patronising email I've ever, ever read in my life on how I should be grateful that we have the Oak National Academy and how we've got all this stuff that the government's done. And, And I just read it thinking, I'm quite privileged to be able to have the equipment in the house to be able to have my three children do Oak National Academy. But how many people haven't got that, do you know what I mean? And how many people probably haven't got the time to sit with the children or, I mean, the battles that was in our house just to get them to sit down and do a piece of work. Honestly, a piece of work about that big, you would have thought I'd ask them to write the whole Bible out. It's that sort of arguments that people didn't have time for. And all I was basically saying is, could we not even look at freezing the year and it would take the pressure off the parents it would take the pressure off the kids with their mental health it would take the pressure off the teachers do you know what I mean just to say can we do this and that was the answer I got back you've got Oak National Academy be thankful (laughs) and I'm like that that's just not living in the real world it's not it's that doesn't there's no understanding there of what people are going through in life so I think that was my thoughts where actually if he was going through that himself or he had kids who maybe couldn't afford a tablet or a phone or or whatever maybe you'd have a different opinion on that you know what I mean so that's why I think um, again a very long-winded answer but I think that's why I think we we do need people who have had these life skills and have had to sort of go through that and to be able to represent us. 
Um, I love your stories, by the way. So don't <laughs> don't stop doing the stories. I'm sure all our viewers and listeners will be uh, will be intrigued by your stories. They're dead good. Um, do you think you you mentioned time a few times there? Now, one of in my experience, I think when you're on low pay and you're in a difficult job where, like you know, the, the working in retail, it is physically tiring. It's not, you know, and there's and there's you know, I, I don't think there should really be a hierarchy of jobs, but there is. And sit, sitting in an office all day seems to be considered to be like, you know, like if you're a CEO, for example, it seems to be this really grand, important thing. And I don't really necessarily think that that is that much work. Um, yeah. When you compare it, to, you know, like going, yeah. like going around a shop all day, like doing all the different things that you need to do, like, you know, because there's a variety of things to do. Yeah. And I think when people go home, they're so tired and they're so exhausted and they just want to enjoy their lives. Yeah. And then they've got the pressure of saying, well, how am I, how am I going to pay for this bill? And, you know, if you yeah. don't know where, like, if you don't have a high pay, if you're worried about bills all the time, that takes a mental strain and that tires yeah. you out as well. So you just want to switch off and maybe have a drink and maybe watch something on Netflix or something yeah. rather than get politically engaged do you think yeah. that is a is an issue that people have? And it's really good as well that Usdor would fund people to get yeah. more involved. But do you think that's an issue? Like yeah, there's a couple of issues, Paul, I think that put stumbling blocks on people doing it. Um, one, I think, uh, and I mean, this is the women's issue as well as the, the key workers, but um, mainly the care and responsibility comes down to a woman. So to be able to juggle our life to start with she physically can't fit anything else into it do you know what I mean so I think that comes as part of it when you are juggling childcare with with work um the fact that you write a lot of sort of retail work and and a lot of low paid work as well now is the same where you're basically on call 24 7 so you cannot even sort of rely on given time so you might be contracted 16 hours a week and think great I'm only working part-time but basically those 16 hours can be any time and the company can also call you in to up those hours like and at a short notice or I do that so you can't plan anything either so that's another stumbling block um I mean obviously as a union we are campaigning against that and making sure that the majority of the agreements that we hold they get at least three weeks notice beforehand do you know what I mean and, and all that to try and stop it but there's a lot of retailers out there that don't they literally give you 24 hours notice on when your next shift is which to to start with is a struggle if you've got childcare or you've got responsibilities or or things like that um so you're probably right if you're sort of going up saying right he's an additional thing it, it it is a stumbling block I mean I'm not saying it's, it's completely impossible because I have this um stumbling block when I'm looking for representatives for the union because they'll go oh no I can't do that and thankfully representatives for the union get time off for trade union duties so a lot of it they can get off time off from work for it but a lot of it's done in their own time and that's because it comes from the heart. So they will answer the call from Judith off the checkouts who needs help, do you know what I mean? And, and stuff like that. So it's a, I think the, the key to it, and this is only my personal opinion, the key to it is, is to support and help them with their lives, do you know what I mean? Because they'll always find that little bit extra time. God knows how, I've got full respect for, the, for these people that do it. So God knows how they do find the time but they do find the time for something that's really close to heart and they see that as a bit of a, a hobby for them, a bit of a, a sort of life satisfaction, do you know what I mean, and stuff like that. So it's basically empowering them and then supporting them as much as we can to help them with those sort of um, things to overcome. So whether it be um, we offer childcare, do you know what I mean? So I know the union do when we do training for them, we'll offer childcare as well, do you know what I mean? And, and, that sort of thing. So maybe that's something we can help to get them active. Yeah, we, we have these issues in our trade union as well. And you'll have people like saying, can I bring my kids? And you go, of course you can. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, really? 
I didn't think you could. And you're like, well, well, yeah, yeah, of course you can. Yeah. That's fine. And, um, and, but people don't know and people, because they're so used to, they, they think it's almost like an extension of the workplace yeah. when you have a union meeting, but it definitely shouldn't, shouldn't ever be. And people feel like it's like that. Um, on, you were, you were speaking about like women and obviously like, uh, childcare and other issues yeah. like that. Um, disproportionately affect women so we're not saying that like men don't have these issues as well because yeah. a lot of men do increasingly mm-hmm. men are taking a, a greater care and role as well um and but like you know i think when you talk about things like all women shortlists while like i think it's good to increase the representation of women sometimes i think does that actually remove any barriers does that remove yeah. those barriers for people who are in that situation or does that just mean that the women who don't have those barriers just um you know like i find that a little bit easier and they might have other barriers as well by the way like i'm not saying that they're the only barriers that women face but i think would would you agree that like more action needs to be taken in those areas to make sure that women from low paid areas and and and, um and stuff that have access to these political meetings and have access yeah. to trade union learning obviously the answer is yes because you've hinted at this yeah i kind of want to highlight yeah. it a little bit so no i i do think that i mean all women shortlists is one of those things that you, you it's sometimes a bit like marmite isn't it you can debate it for everyone on whether it is i mean it's one of those things that unfortunately it's a measure that we maybe needed to put in place to get women into to the Houses of Parliament to give their voice. Um, very similar to how I actually got the job in the TUC because the, the when I first started with the TUC before I, I joined USDOR, and they did a, a sort of physical campaign to look for um, young people, women, BAME, um, disability, they the looked for the, that area that wasn't the stereotypical trade unionist. So, Hence the reason I was a 21-year-old woman that was a trade union official, which was totally, like, never heard of, do you know what I mean? And, and the TUC did that to ensure that those voices were getting heard and it wasn't just the stereotypical middle-aged white man that was representing people in the trade union, it was actually people who were like the people they represent to come forward. So all women shortlist is very similar to that, but as you've just said yourself, Paul, I don't think that completely takes away the issues that you have got. And I mean, as as a woman, I know I don't know whether I should say this, but as a woman, you sometimes have to make that decision: Do I have a family or do I have a career? And being an MP or a politician is that career? Do you you've got to basically choose between that? And I think it's really hard for a woman to do that, the choose. And I mean, we do have some fantastic MPs out there that do seem to balance it, do you know what I mean, of being a mother and and a politician, but you do have to. And very similar to why you probably haven't got women CEOs and and stuff like that, because you sort of sell your soul to the organisation that you're working with. And sometimes you have that mother's guilt of, well, if I've sold me soul to them, me soul should be with me pet and me kids. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's maybe one of the, the things which is a lot deeper and God knows how we're going to ever overcome that. But I think that's one of the reasons why we, we need to empower women to sort of come forward a bit more as well. Um, but you're right, we need to look at the, the actual heart of why people can't do this and, and make it easier. And you know what, sometimes, Paul, I think it's just get rid of the jargon as well and get rid of the the sort of, um, I remember turning up to my first ever meeting, bear in mind I've been in this movement practically all my life. And I was like, what? What What are they actually talking about? And I, like, thankfully I'm a person that'll go, hold on a second, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Can you just sort of like tell us? And they would go, oh, I mean, lovely people they would go, oh, yes, yeah, sorry, Lisa. What we mean is X, Y, and Z, da, da, da. But, like, I'm a bit of a uniqueness of the fact that I'm willing to stand up and say that. Oh, that's another barrier that people maybe aren't willing to stand up and go, I haven't got a clue, because they'll feel like they're being dumb or stupid if they don't know what that means, do you know what I mean, and stuff like that. So I do think we need to go back to the heart of sort of saying... Listen, it is exactly how we started this conversation, Paul. 
have you got it inside you that you want to care for people have you got it inside you that you want to make a difference in this society if the answer is yes to those two things I tell you what doesn't matter about the other things we'll make it work and we'll get you out there to represent us do you know what I mean that's the way we should be getting people forward and and off and like when they do come to meetings open it up and maybe sometimes I do come across as patronizing because I'll go do you know what that means and they'll go yes Lisa we know what that means and I'm getting yeah I just want to make sure that everyone doesn't feel like I feel at the first meeting do you know what I mean so um but yeah I, I totally agree with the idea you've got to keep yeah. things simple and you've got to speak people's language because yeah. you know and I, I think parliament's a, a, a it's just so old-fashioned and the way they go on and they stupid like if that scepter is not in place then you yeah. can't and oh you, you need the holy scepter um it's, it's just so weird and you're like can we not just speak in a normal language um I always like to finish off and like you know you've I've, you've really entertained me and we're nearly we're, we're nearly out of time now um we always like to finish off with hopes for the future but you've already started on that and the, the hopes for the future so um you know you've spoken there about like how we we in, and how we improve things by um speaking in in normal language to yeah. each other and what would you like to see in the trade union movement as well and would you like to see like more people getting involved and showing solidarity to one another yeah no completely i think the the trade union movement's exactly what we we're just saying about getting people more involved in politics it's the same as we we need to take away the stereotype of a trade unionist the stereotypical of what an mp is and we need to break that down and say exactly what I've just said. If it's in here, we'll, we'll learn you, we'll educate you to do the rest, you know what I mean? We'll empower you to be able to, to sort of make a difference. And I think that's what I want to see. I want to see if, um, like when I got involved, I was very into the youth movement because at the time, fortunately enough, I was young enough to be in the youth movement. I wish I was still young enough now to be in it, but and, like that's the part you need to look at. and. As I said before, going back to issue-based campaigning, let's see what people want and, and sort of grab onto that and say, this is what we can do and empower them to come forward. And I do love that word, empower, because it's what we should be doing. We shouldn't go back to that Thatcherism time of, well, if you're all right, you're fine, do you know what I mean? It's not, it's about empowering other people. It's about sort of educating them to support themselves and and to support other people around them and it's like that pass it on sort of phase isn't it um if i had a total magic wand door paul and sort of said right what do you want to change i would want a lot more of the sort of workers rights changed in the in this in this country i think it's um I always say when I'm speaking to my members, there's two different arguments you have. You have the legal argument, which unfortunately isn't particularly our friend as workers. And then you have the trade union argument, which is always put a mirror up to yourself. Would you treat your mother like this? Would you treat your father like this? And, and it's that sort of moral compass argument. And without trade unions, you wouldn't have that argument. So I think them are the two arguments you always have. I just would wish it's a lot easier to move a bit of that over to the workers' rights so that we wouldn't have to sort of play on the heartstrings of managers to get good or judges to get good um, decisions because thankfully the rights had already be there for us. I think that's the biggest thing, if I have hopes for the future. But the only way we can do that is going back to basics of what we said before and getting the right people in power and the right people to represent us so that they do know and they're not coming out with stupid things like the politicians are now, like, um, oh, the companies will pay them. No, they'll pay them the sick pay. That's all they'll pay them, do you know what I mean? But, for the politicians, they'll think, oh, no, the companies will, will give them full pay if they have to be off. No, they won't. They'll give them what you tell them they have to give them. And that's the measly £90 a week that you sort of say. So I think you need people in power that know those so that laws can be changed. I think that's me. If I had my magic wand, that's what I would want. <laughs> See, we need to put you in charge. Um, so, <laughs> um, 
Thank you so much for this, Lisa. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, and also thank you for representing all those workers out there who I hope a few of them are watching and and be and will think actually, you know, I feel a little bit appreciated because we know how terrifying it was at the beginning with everyone going out to the um, you know, to the shops and having to queue up outside and those people people having to yeah. just turn up at work anyway when everyone else was told to stay away. Um, you know, and and you mentioned key workers a couple of mm -hmm. times, and you know we need to keep that definition in people's yeah. minds, don't we? Because you know people seem to have forgotten how important these were. Yeah. Like you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the the bankers that uh, that were important, and it wasn't <laughs> even the politicians at that time. You know, it was the people who kept people alive were people who were yeah. the key workers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks, Lisa. You've been absolutely outstanding and um, we will definitely see yes. you again. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for having us then, Paul. See you later. We'll keep the red flag flag.